0: Hello and welcome to Locked on Marlins. This is your daily Marlins podcast with me, Peter Pratt. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Marlins underscore UK. Don't forget that underscore. No Instagrams, no TikToks, just straight up on Twitter, no doubt. Guys, this is the Monday episode of Locked on Marlins, and the Marlins have done some business. They have done some necessary business. They have added and bolstered the pen, not with just one arm, but two arms. Two arms in from the fish, and they have acquired both these arms from the Orioles, and I thought I've got to reach out to the Locked On fam. Connor
1: Newcomb is in the house. Connor is the host of Locked On Orioles. Connor, how are we doing? I'm great, Peter. Uh, you know, happy to to come on and listen, talked about this trade. Uh, it feels like Orioles fans are 50-50 on how they feel about this. Okay. It feels like the Marlins fans are, are feeling good and, and happy to, to break it down even more.
0: Absolutely. Um, This, um, I I must say, dropped last night, UK time anyway, pretty late, around about midnight. Um, All of a sudden, yeah, notifications started to kind of fire off. I thought, okay, we've done something. Um, Looked in and there was two names that I recognize, but players that I don't know a lot about. So just from your perspective, uh, maybe just briefly summarize the trade itself, the guys involved, and then we can kind of dig into a few of the details here and see how we think it's going to play for both teams.
1: Yeah, so obviously Tanner Scott and Cole Salser to kind of back end of the bullpen guys for the Orioles uh, go to Miami for a couple of prospects that are kind of fringe top thirty guys I think in the Marlins system right now. So they didn't mm-hmm. give up you know any of the, the you know those top arms in, in that system. And then there's a there's a compensation pick which will be the number sixty seven pick in the draft this year. That was honestly the number one asset the Orioles got back. Yeah. And then a player to be named later. So at some point there will be one more low-level minor leaguer going to the Orioles. But in terms of you know the recognizable part of the trade, obviously, is the two major league players in Solcer and Scott. And kind of the quick scouting report on each of these guys. We'll start with Tanner Scott, 27-year-old lefty who has been in the big since the end of 2017. He's actually been around uh, for a good amount of time. Mm. Hard-throwing lefty, throws 97 to 99 miles an hour with a fastball and has one of the better sweeping sliders you're ever going to see. Now, Scott... Coming up through the system, all the talk was, this is the next Orioles closer. Like, this guy's got incredible stuff from the left side that you don't find in lefties. He still has that stuff. He's been good at times. But he also had a 5.2 ERA in 2021 because his command just is still not there. And it's always been the issue for him. And it's still an issue. Now, last year, he walked 12 or he struck out 12 batters per nine. That's awesome. He walked almost six batters per nine. That's horrendous. You <laughs> cannot be doing that at the age level. Uh oh. And it got to a point for Tanner Scott last year where he couldn't throw his fastball. He was a lefty with a 99-mile-per-hour fastball, and he had no idea where it was going. So he would come out of the bullpen in the seventh inning. He'd throw 15 pitches, and 12 or 13 of them would be sliders. And sometimes the slider was good enough to get guys out, even though they knew it was coming. And other times, good hitters would say, even though this slider is really good, I know it's coming and at some point I'm going to hit it. Mm-hmm. And that's why the ERA went up. So he had a one three, one ERA in 2020. He could throw his fastball. He had a five ERA last year. He couldn't throw his fastball. So it's basically a question of, you know, he's still got three more years of team control. Mm-hmm. Can the Marlins figure out whatever is wrong with his delivery on that fastball? And then on the Cole Salser side, he's the guy who's coming off the really, really good season. He was the Orioles best reliever in 2021. Now, granted He's 32 years old. He didn't get to the big leagues till he was 29. He was a September call-up with the Rays in 2019. He got waived by the Rays. The Orioles claimed him. In 2020, he wasn't very good, but it came out after the season. He had multiple broken toes on his right foot that he was wow. pitching with all season and basically said, look, I tried my best. I didn't want to go on the injured list, but he said it was hampering him. All of a sudden, he comes in last year healthy. The fastball velocity is better. His location is better. And all of a sudden, he has a 2.7 ERA in 60-plus innings in 2021. He wasn't exactly a closer. He had eight saves, but the Orioles didn't really have, like, a closer that they go to every time in the ninth inning. And I know the Marlins were kind of similar at times in 2021 where it wasn't one guy all year. But Salser was their best reliever. He has a fastball that's, you know, in the mid-'90s that he throws really well up in the zone, high spin rate. And then he has one of the best change-ups – in the league, it's an elite pitch. Guys hit about 100 against his changeup. It kind of drops off the table. It's like in the mid 80s. It's a strikeout pitch. It's a ground ball pitch. It's devastating. And he's been working on a slider the last year or so. So he's got a third pitch in there, too. The fallback on Salser is he's a 32 year old who's had one good big league season. <laughs> you never know. But yep. the positive side is the Marlins have four more years of Cole Salser before he becomes a free agent. Coming off a really good year, so I know the Marlins, Peter, were looking for bullpen help. I mean, the the summary is they got it in this trade.
0: Sounds like it. I mean, first off, must say stunning scouting reports there. That is that is well, brilliant, and also at the same time slightly scary. Um, in the you've got you've got two guys that absolutely have the stuff and makeup of a back end uh, reliever. At the same time, they. I've basically kind of flip-flopped in between them in terms of which one's going to be good and which one's going to be absolutely terrible. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> which which is a worry. The Marlins last year in the bullpen, this, this kind of really fits what I think the Marlins have been doing with bullpens for years. And actually, I think a lot of clubs should probably look to do this anyway, kind of mix and match, low-cost guys, high upside, tons of stuff, you know, just see who works and just see how you go rather than throwing the money at it. The Marlins did it last year. The one guy they put some money towards, you know, uh, relatively speaking anyway was Anthony Bass and that really didn't work out for the for the Marlins at all but probably outside of maybe Dylan Flora or Anthony Bender one of the better relievers too was uh, Big Dick Blyer too who was uh, from the Orioles too so they've got this kind of connection now that the Marlins and O's making some deals for sure but um if you if you were to kind of look ahead to both of these guys who would you expect to be that ninth inning guy because the marlins do need a ninth inning dude if it was your call right now you expecting salsa to perhaps
1: be the the favorite for that yeah so both of these pitchers have kind of gotten a chance to be a ninth inning guy before Hmm. i wouldn't exactly say they've both been closers because also when you pitch for the orioles not a lot of save opportunities happening over the last couple of years same for the marlins too by the right (laughs) but for salsa he's definitely got many more of those chances so he went he broke camp in the shortened 2020 season as the closer, he then broke those toes and lost the job. He came back last year and basically was the closer for longer than anybody else. Who's currently on the Orioles roster. So he has that success sometimes. Now the issue with Cole Salser, and I will say this in his career, which has been short, it's basically been two big league seasons. One of them was a 60 game season his numbers get worse. The later he pitches in the game, you look at Cole Salser in the sixth and seventh innings and even in the eighth inning dominant sometimes mm-hmm. Cole Salser in the ninth inning in his career, it's been a little bit of a mess. And you know, Fangraphs also has a stat, you know, they, they, they split up low leverage, middle leverage and high leverage scenarios. Mm-hmm. You look at Cole Salser in those low and middle leverage. I mean, there's nobody the Orioles have had in the last three years that they would rather go to in those spots. Yeah. But the high leverage numbers are a little shaky. And so it's really interesting to look at it. Is he a closer? No, but he was kind of forced into that role in a good team or on a bad team, I should say. On a good team, if he comes into the seventh inning, you've got you know a, a nice piece on your hand. So it's mm. really interesting because I think the Marlins do need, you know they would really benefit from a lockdown ninth inning guy. 100%. Both of these guys can be good relievers neither of them have really shown the ability to be that guy
0: <laughs> boy oh boy connor you're uh, you know the you give you giveth and you taketh <laughs> with this one is is how things are going here for sure and that summary is exactly how i describe anthony bass from last year in the ninth inning just could not get anything done in the seventh inning stud low yep. leverage anthony bass no problem just you know the sinker sunk in the ninth inning, game on the line. Sinker, flat meatball. That's what you're getting. That was the problem. So this is also scaring me, but this is the interesting part. Irrespective, the Marlins still need seventh, eighth inning dudes. They may not be done. And I don't think they are done. I actually don't. I think these are kind of some arms to add to the stable. I can still see them doing something else. And I've just seen some news knocking around. A couple of the other uh, Rule 5 picks, actually, from last year have both been optioned to AAA. Zach Pop and Paul Campbell. So they're down. Nick Nider, it's been DFA'd. So all of a sudden, the Marlins, they've added two arms, but actually, um, you know, from a, the major league roster anyway, we're starting to move some pieces around. I'm not convinced they're totally done. And maybe, to your point, Connor, maybe they see these as kind of seventh inning dudes that can kind of fit in around maybe Anthony Bender, um, Dylan Floro. Then can they go and get the ninth inning? Shutdown guy. I'm not sure there is a ninth inning shutdown guy available. That is probably the problem right now for the fish. Like, you know, week... Well, the week of opening day to them still be trying to find a ninth inning dude is a little bit of a worry. Um, But these guys have... They have the stuff. It sounds a bit of a coin flip whether they're any good at any moment in time. If they are, yeah, we could have some nice pieces on our hands for sure. So um, let's um, just briefly touch on bet online. And uh, we'll come back to you as well just thinking about what the Orioles got out of this and how you see the trade going from the Orioles' side. So, um, guys, betonline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. And, listen, it's Masters week. Masters. Get over to BetOnline and get all the info, uh, odds, podcasts, and reviews for all the different leagues this season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting, wagering information, including live betting, in esports, and scores. Head to the website today. Use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online where the game starts. Connor, any bets uh, going down for you on the golf and the Masters?
1: I, you know, Peter, I gotta tell you, like the majority of my friend group, all into golf, love to play golf, love yeah. to watch golf. It's not, it's not my cup of tea. It just, oh boy. It, it's not for me. And you know what? If they want to watch it and we are hanging out, sure, I'll watch. another you know, the Sunday at the Masters, but um you know it's it's listen it's gonna be baseball for me this weekend uh, not necessarily golf
0: there you go okay cool well listen let's uh head into the oriel side then just it, it you said kind of in the intro that maybe the fan base is 50 50 on this one so you know from from your perspective and the fan base perspective how are you seeing this
1: um return for these two arms yeah it's the 50 50 part is interesting because it's not even so much about the return it's about the whether or not. They should have traded these guys in the first place. And mm-hmm. Tanner Scott and Cole Sulser have each been in trade rumors basically since 2020. And there was actually Michael Elias said right after the trade deadline last year. He said to the media, "We were inches away from dealing a reliever, and most people assumed that reliever was Cole Sulser last year because he was having the best season of everyone. And you know, he was 31 years old having a breakout year. It was kind of like trade him away while you can before." he realizes he's a 30-year-old reliever who really hasn't ever been good until this year. So it wasn't like anyone was shocked that either of these guys got traded. But in terms of what they got back, my argument on on you know my episode of Locked on Orioles was for Cole Sulser. like, yeah, maybe he's not a future closer of the next good Orioles team. So maybe mm-hmm. you should just trade him now and, and get younger, better players who will help you when you're good. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was almost like, Cole Sulcer was so good last year. He has four years of team control left. I get maximizing his value, but my argument was maximizing his value is just keeping him on this team so Brandon Hyde can look into the bullpen and at least have somebody he can trust Mm -hmm. because they traded two of the guys that he's been able to trust at times. And that list just keeps dwindling. And yeah, it opens up spots for rookies and prospects who could be really good, but they could also be rookies and rookies Mm -hmm. struggle. And so it just makes his life harder. But in terms of, of the return, I mean, Antonio Velez is probably the more well-known name that the Orioles got back 25 year old left-hander uh, who, you know, apparently, you know, reports have said has the best change up in the Marlins system. He doesn't walk anybody 99 innings, 11 walks last year between high A and double A. I mean, nice. it's a good, he has good strikeout numbers too, but that's ridiculous. How many strikes he throws, I talked to some people uh, from Florida State where he played college and said, you know, he was that kind of pitcher in college, but said he's added a lot of velocity in the pros to his fastball and now, you know, up in in the 90s instead of kind of the the high 80s where he was. So he's a guy who uh, the Orioles said will start the year at double A and, you know, could get to triple A and is a starter. So maybe he helps the Orioles soon because he is 25 years old. Mm. Then they got Kevin Guerrero. This is Mike Elias loves to get a player like Kevin Guerrero in a deal. He's 17 years old. He's played one professional season in the Dominican Summer League. Basically, nobody's seen him play baseball except for, like, the Dominican scouts. That's about it. But Mike Elias, every trade he makes, he gets the other team to throw in a 17- or 18-year-old from the Dominican Summer League because he wants that younger talent that he feels the Orioles can mold. Antonio Velez at 25, he can still be molded a bit, but, you know, he's pretty far along a 17 year old outfielder with, you know, a, a body he hasn't grown into yet. Essentially. That's what the Orioles like to get. And he was, you, you know, I believe ranked baseball America did rank Guerrero their 29th best Marlins prospect. So it's not like he's a random 17 year old. He's on some people's radars. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they get a player to be named later who knows who that could be, but then really for the Orioles, the the headlining part of this deal was the draft pick they got back. Now, we know in other sports, you can trade draft picks. You really can't in baseball, except for compensation picks. You can trade those. Mm. And that's what the Marlins did. It's it's the comp- compensation B round pick, which is the round of about 10 picks right after the second round. And this is pick number 67 overall in the draft, which is a pretty big pick. Those players yeah. usually get about a million dollars in their signing bonus. So it's a pretty good player. The Orioles now have four picks in the top 70 of the draft. Mm. That's more than anybody else in the top 70 of this year's draft. And when you think about it, you know, uh, actually, Brendan Mortensen, who uh, covers the Orioles for Masson over here in Baltimore, pointed this out on Twitter. He said uh, the Orioles got Kyle Stowers, one of their outfield prospects, with pick number 71 two years ago. Kyle Stowers last year was the Orioles' co-minor league player of the year. He shared that award with Adley Rutschman, the top prospect in baseball. So we know what the Orioles can do with a pick, you know, right around where they got that pick. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because, you know, I break down all the players on the podcast. I get the scouting report on these players, but the best thing that comes back is sort of an unknown that we won't know about for, you know, three months, I guess, four months until the draft. So that's kind of how the trade played out for the Orioles. I guess the return is solid for these relievers, but it's also kind of a weird wait and see because like how good that draft pick becomes in terms of a player will really kind of grade out how good this trade becomes. I'm with you. Uh, To be
0: honest with you, I I feel like I like it for both teams. It just fits the needs. I think that's the the beauty of it, really, where two decent known entities, well, uh, I guess the the 17-year-old is less known, but like you said, two two decent prospects that are on people's radars, plus their, well, player to be named later, I guess. We'll see what that becomes. But equally, it's that comp pick, you know, within the top 70 of the draft. That's not a throwaway uh, prospect either in many ways so like I said the Orioles have got form for, for making good picks and developing dudes straight out of there so feels good for the Marlins they fill they fill a need they needed some leverage arms I think they've got some leverage arms and um, ones that they can work with it's interesting that <laughs> it was mentioned that the, the the guy involved in the trade um, supposedly had the best change up in the Marlins system I tell you that is one thing with the Marlins uh, system everyone can develop a change up it is just sensational what they've done with pitching um, and pitching development for sure. But if his changeup is the best in the Marlins system, um, it will be elite, I can I can tell you that with confidence for sure. So, yeah, love it. Um, we're running low on time. I want to let you just dwell a second as well. I want to ask you about where this timeline sits for the Orioles equally, what that could mean for Cedric Mullins. So I'll let you ponder on that a second. Um, but before that, I'll let you know, guys, about Bilt Bar. And I've asked this question multiple times. Have you tried the Puffs? Have you, if you haven't? You're missing out on one of Built Bar's best tasting bars. Puffs, first ever protein infused marshmallow. Yep, a protein infused marshmallow. Fluffy, marshmallowy, not just a protein bar, they're a treat. Covered in 100% real chocolate. Actually, all Built Bar's are covered in 100% real chocolate. If you're liking what you're hearing, get yourself over to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15, get 15% off your order. Connor, have you tried the Puffs?
1: <laughs> I have not tried the Puffs yet. What you know, the hell? I've 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 tried the I've tried the build bars, the, the, you know the, the many of the different flavors, but uh, I guess I got to try the puffs.
0: You're gonna have to. <laughs> You're gonna have to. Let me know. They don't they don't ship build bars to the UK, so I'm <laughs> I'm flying blind. But they sound amazing to me. But anyway, um, let's round things off with a. I, I, you were talking then about obviously the the auras are moving these arms. Should they move them now? You know, Salsa. The AG's at. Is it the right time to move him? Question I'm interested to know about is where's this rebuild head into? Where's the timeline right now? Clearly the Marlins are moving into a period where they're starting to go into all-in mode as such right now, and their window is, is opening with the the pitching that's looking nice. Where are the Orioles at right now?
1: Yeah, this is really interesting to talk about here because this is kind of what has started to divide the Orioles fan base a little bit, really right. over the past six months or so. Because when you look at the O's this year, you know, when, when they brought in Mike Elias before the 2019 season, to be the GM, you know, they kind of cleaned house, brought him in, let him bring some people in. They knew what was happening. They had just traded a lot of their major league talent. They knew it was rebuild time. And so 2019 was terrible. And everybody accepted that it was going to be terrible. And it was. 2020 was a little better than we thought it was going to be. It helped that the the season was only 60 games. Mm -hmm. And then last year, you know, we started to get some breakouts, some Ryan Mountcastle, some Mm -hmm. Cedric Mullins, John Means threw a no hitter. You know, you started to, to develop these, younger guys into seeing, oh, this isn't just a player for now. This might be a player for the future. And so when you combine that with the fact that the Orioles' top prospects, Adley Rutschman, best prospect in baseball, Grayson Rodriguez, best pitching prospect in baseball, D.L. Hall, another top 50 prospect, all those guys are ready for the big leagues at some point in 2022. Rutschman will be up in a couple weeks. Those other two pitchers will be up by the middle of the season. So when you combine that with the fact that they found some more legitimate talent last year, you would have thought, okay, The Orioles probably aren't going to be a playoff team in 2022. I don't think that's the case talent-wise, but this is probably the offseason to start adding to your major league talent. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be Carlos Correa, although Orioles fans wanted that to happen more than anything, which I get. But maybe a shortstop who's worth $10 million a year. You bring in for a couple years to help you. You go get a starting pitcher for a two-year $30 $30 million deal, you know, just bring in a, a solid veteran guy who's going to help you. Mm-hmm. But the Orioles didn't do that. They didn't make the team kind of incrementally better. Instead, they just kind of stood pat. And now a week before opening day, they've continued to subtract from the team. And I put this out on Twitter the other day, you know, I still believe in what Michael Elias is doing and his timeline. But I said, you know, when you've watched a team, just subtract and subtract and subtract from the major league roster for three and a half years, it becomes a little more difficult to imagine them adding to it. And I still believe they're going to add to it next off season, mm-hmm. but I totally understand people who have kind of thrown in the towel on this and have said, if they continue to subtract, 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 and this is the off season where it would have made a little sense to add some, and they didn't do it at all. Then what makes you think they're going to do it in the future? So for me, Next offseason becomes the time when they need to start adding because those prospects I talked about, they'll have a year of seasoning in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. We'll know if Cedric Mullins is for real, because we'll have, you know, his full season after the breakout. Yep. We'll know if John Means is an ace or if he's just a really good number two or three starter. You know, we'll know a lot more things. The Orioles will have more talent. And next year will be the time. So for me, if the Orioles do add to the team next off season, start to try and, you know, put together a solid big league ball club. I'll be good with the timeline. Maybe by 2024, we can talk about them being maybe a playoff team. If they don't next offseason, things will flip pretty generously, and it will be the Orioles are turning into more of the Pirates, which is just kind of anytime you get a player worth something, you trade him away for younger guys. Mm. And so that's kind of where we're at right now. And it's been tough. And I know there's a name you want to ask me about who Mm -hmm. I just mentioned, and with these moves, it makes Orioles fans a little more leery that that is a trade that might happen too.
0: Oh boy. I mean, we've we've already talked about this trade made sense. It, it truly does because of what the Marlins needed and what the Orioles had and maybe where they're at this year in particular um, to what you've mentioned. I guess it wouldn't have shocked me and I believe that they likely would have had a conversation around the center field option too. The Marlins have an absolutely gaping hole in center field that they created, I must say. It was the Marlins' fault that they're in this position. They could have absolutely extended Stalin Marte last year. Instead, they decided to move him away, get back Jesus Lozado. And I like that return. Um, I've said that multiple times. But nevertheless, the Marlins had the solution in-house. They decided not to go down that path. And we are now sitting here a couple of days before opening day. We have no center fielder. Um, Jesus Sanchez is going to man the fort in center field, but he is not a center fielder. Cedric Mullins had an absolute stunning 2021 year and a just was probably, what, top 20 player, top 25 guy in the whole of Major League Baseball last year. Um, clearly, we don't know if it's a flash in the pan, but the Marlins probably would have asked, what What do you think the Orioles would have said? Do you think they would have considered it? Because, listen, the, the price tag would be high, clearly, but if it was a case of, hey, listen, yes, we'll take Max Meyer, JJ Bleday, and one other, let's say, some something in that kind of realm where, you, you know, they're pretty much big league-ready prospects now. We're talking about the highly touted top 100 guys. Do you think they would have entertained it at all, or is basically Cedric Mullins untouchable?
1: I don't think Mike Elias will ever hang up the phone on anyone. I think he <laughs> will Love listen, it. and we know he's listened. And it was reported earlier this offseason that they were listening on Mullins and Austin Hayes. Mm-hmm. And some people freaked out about that. Why would you trade? No, 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 no. He's just listening. If a team blows you away with an unbelievable package worth far more than Cedric Mullins is, you have to listen just in case that happens. Do I think he's going to trade Mullins? No. Do I think there's a chance he does trade Mullins? Yes. I just don't think he's going to do it. And at the end of the day, obviously if the Euros were to trade Mullins, a good team to trade with would be Miami with all the starting pitching depth that they have. But I think if you're Mike Elias, you're not even considering the deal that you hear until two of those top pitching prospects from Miami are involved. Mm -hmm. If Miami put two of those names into a deal, I think maybe he starts to maybe counter or, you know, continue that conversation. But I don't know if Miami would be willing to give that up right now for a guy who listen, was a top five arguably player in the American league last year, but he was basically a below average major leaguer for two years before that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Miami wants to give all that up for a guy who was awesome once. But maybe if he does it again, Kim Ang gives Michael Elias another call after this season. I
0: think that's been the really intriguing point about the whole Mullins situation is stunning 21. Previous to that, not great. Are you going to empty the farm? with two of your five best pitching prospects plus A and others um, for a guy that really is unproven at that level. Um, and that is the that is the question. And it hasn't shocked me that they haven't pulled the trigger on that. I think they've been heavily targeting Reynolds because Reynolds, I think, has a longer track record of being at that kind of top-end center field spot. The Pirates, as you've already mentioned, hey, they're, they're happy to engage in any kind of trade activity. So I think equally the partner, as a trade partner anyway, fits nicely too. Um, I always felt like Mullins was kind of 1B, um, was my sense. But it looks like the Marlins are just going to roll with it and see what happens. Maybe you know, maybe if they're still in it after a, you know two months, they then turn to Oakland and say, hey, listen, we'll take Loriano off your hands. Um, clearly the A's are in full teardown mode as well. So that's going to be intriguing. Um, what's your sense on Mullins? What kind of turn for him? Just one final piece on him. Um, what, what changed? Why did Cedric Mullins become 2021 Cedric Mullins?
1: I mean, the easy part is the big change he made is that he was a switch hitter his whole career until last spring training. He decided I'm no longer a switch hitter and he stopped hitting right-handed and he went fully lefty. And, you know, this change had probably had a lot more to do with it than you can see on the surface. But Mm. if you go back and look at his splits, he was a horrendous right-handed hitter. (laughs) Anytime he ever hit in his minor or major league career, it was from the left side. You almost, once he made that decision, you almost looked back and went, wait a minute, why was he ever switch hitting? <laughs> and that's how bad the stats were from the yeah. right side. But that's probably too simple of an answer. He changed his body. He bulked up. He was kind of a, you know, a, a smaller, skinnier guy. Now he's still a shorter player, but he got the weight room and his body changed as well. And he really made an effort there. Mm. And, you know, between that and just being able to focus on one side of the plate, And the side of the plate that had already had, you know, a little bit of success for him in the past, he just broke out. You know, it helps early in the season to start hot when other teams really aren't paying much mind to you because you haven't been good before. So that helps with a hot start. You know, you're getting more fastballs. You know, you're hitting down in the lineup. And then all of a sudden he becomes the leadoff hitter and how good he was. And he just rolled with that confidence. The swing was a little different, but it wasn't like he made a crazy swing change. Stopping switch hitting, getting a little stronger. Yeah. All of a sudden, he became that good. What a recipe.
0: Absolutely love it. One final question before I let you get out of here. Are there any other, like, listen, because this Marlins-Orioles uh, connection, it is real. There has been, what, four deals, three deals in the past two seasons. Like, the the, the phones, they're on quick dial, I think, for sure. Are there any other uh, obvious uh, trade pieces or assets that the auras look to move this year that perhaps the Marlins would look to kind of
1: capitalize on via trade? Yeah, I think there's probably two of them. Uh, One, I feel like this name from the Orioles side, we have tried to link this guy to the Marlins, and that's Anthony (laughs) Santander. Okay, Um, I think that name has come up a lot. Obviously, a switch-hitting right fielder who has had really hot streaks. I think at the end of the day, he's kind of just an above-average major league hitter. Mm -hmm. But when he gets hot, he's got a really pretty swing from both sides and can play the outfield. um, And I think he's still a valuable player. He just Mm -hmm. doesn't really fit into the Orioles' timeline right now because they have so many good young outfielders. And then the other guy is Trey Mancini. And, you know, with the DH in the National League, the Marlins Mm -hmm. would obviously love to have another bat in that lineup. He can play first. He can DH. He can play a little bit in the outfield. He, you know, is on the last year of his deal. And all indications say, you know, he's had no extension talks with the Orioles. I think the consensus is the O's are going to trade him at some point this year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if Miami's contending and looking for a right-handed bat, Don't think it would be a bad move there.
0: Yeah, interesting. Interesting names for sure. Santander has got an interesting connection too with the UK. Uh, There was a, a I don't know, it was probably three, four years ago and a a whole kind of UK scouts uh, crew was all in the outfield and just decided to fully embrace Anthony Santander. So he's got a big UK fan club and he embraced that too. So yeah, that name's kind of been on my radar, maybe for slightly different reasons linked to that. But um, awesome. Connor, that has been a brilliant conversation and a really insightful one uh, not just on the Orioles guys but equally what you found out on the Marlins guys too <laughs> so that was that was fantastic uh, final question where are the what's the record going to be for the for the O's this year uh, in 2022
1: I'll have them just barely avoiding 100 losses. So 63 and 99 will be my prediction. Love it. Solid finish for sure. (laughs) All right. Well,
0: we are getting out of here. That is Connor Newcomb, host of Locked On Orioles, and myself, Peter Pratt, uh, signing off for today, Monday's episode of Locked On Marlins. Thanks for making Locked On Marlins your first listen of the day. Um, If you want to make your second listen, Locked On MLB, Paul Francis Sullivan, please call him Sully. Brings you his unique perspective on the major leagues, past and present, it's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Guys, we'll be back tomorrow with an NL East full roundtable with all of the NL East locked-on fam. So look forward to that one, guys. It is a 40-minute extravaganza um, with hot takes, predictions, and pain. Some pain, actually, from the Nats, and particularly myself as well. So stay tuned for that one, guys. Back tomorrow.